You know, my grandfather was a uh, drafted in the Army in World War II. And he's from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and uh, he stayed there his whole life after he got out of the military. But he was a little bit older than the average Army officer, kind of the upper end of what they would draft. And they ended up sending him to training sites around the country. He kind of ended up being my role model as a young as a young man. And I would spend summers with him when I was in high school, and he would teach me woodworking. That was his craft. And I just watched him live. And what, he was an imperfect guy. He spent a lot of time uh, serving others. He would spend every Sunday down in the uh, Hattiesburg City Jail talking with and forming relationships, encouraging the inmates. And I just saw this cycle repeat itself again and again and again. And very imperfectly, I've tried to imitate him with my own life. And he taught me really to serve others is to be free and to live yourself. It's not a burden. In fact, it's a joy. That doesn't mean that we are completely selfish or certainly I am not. But it sure is something pretty special about public service and really in building leaders of character for our nation. I couldn't just be more delighted to be a small part of that. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Many who serve in the military become leaders in business, politics, entrepreneurship, sports, and many other places. Why? What does the military teach so well in leadership? I believe that lack of effective leadership is the greatest impediment to effective environmental action. That's why I have this podcast, Leadership in the Environment. If you want to improve your leadership, this conversation will tell you all you have to do. You'll have to listen to it many times. Implementing it may take a long time, but I'm not aware of any shortcuts to leadership. My guest today is Colonel Everett Spain of the U.S. Army. He's a professor at the U.S. Military Academy, that's West Point, and he's the head of the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. His background is extensive. I'll give the highlights here, but you can look them up online. He served in the HQ of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command at Fort Bragg in Iraq. He was the director of the Eisenhower Leadership Development Program jointly between West Point and Columbia University. He was the commanding officer of a U.S. Army garrison in Germany, where he was responsible for over 10,000 Americans. He was at the White House before that. There's more, including winning the 82nd Airborne Division's Best Ranger Competition. He has a Doctorate of Business Administration and Management from Harvard. He has an MBA from Duke, and his undergrad degree is from West Point. He has many medals. He's a master parachutist. He was awarded the Soldier's Medal, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, Combat Action Badge, Defense Meritorious Service Medal, many others. I don't want to give him short shrift, but you can look them up. In this conversation, we will cover how to learn to lead and what West Point does that you can emulate yourself. I could go on, but let's listen to Colonel Everett Spain. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Colonel Everett Spain here at West Point at the U.S. Military Academy at West Point. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for coming up today. And I believe we should get out of the way right off the bat. You have the official statement you have to read. Sure, sure. I'd, I'd just like to offer, a, in addition to thanking you for interviewing me today, that the opinions that I'll express in this interview are Everett Spain's alone and are not endorsed by the United States Military Academy, United States Army, or Department of Defense. 
Thank you. Okay. So we met when I was up here before with uh, General Austin. And actually, you know, I want to get the official name of the department here because now I'm going to show off here. Because I written down the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership on my challenge coin. And I think when people think of my podcast, they hear leadership in the environment. They often hear environment first. And they don't often think about leadership. But I think leadership is something that's more lacking in the area of working on the environment, of cleaning things up and restoring the purity that we once had. And I want to bring leaders to the table. And you're ahead of this department. You have an incredible background. It'll be linked there. But, I mean, you teach here at West Point. You have an MBA, a DBA from Harvard. I think that the U.S. military, it teaches leadership, and I think it's known as very effective at doing that. You've been in civilian, you've been in military. What's the difference between how you teach leadership here and how it's taught elsewhere, if that's an easy question to answer? Sure. No, that's a good question, Josh. Thanks for asking it. I think we do, we teach leadership with a higher frequency here and in the military. And I think when we approach it in our civilian parallel institutions, whether it be schools or institutions, Uh, We basically teach the same things. The Army defines leadership as influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation to accomplish a mission and improve the organization. That's the official Army definition of leadership. And and you would see that there's nothing Army-specific to that definition. Mm -hmm. So our civilian colleagues are just as capable as being leaders as we are. They are incredible leaders in many respects as well. And uh, I don't see there being a difference. Of course, we have a different context in which we practice it at times, but it's still about influence on others. And from the Army's perspective, hopefully influence for good over others. I think there's a bigger difference (laughs) because the feel here, I feel like there's a lot that happens here that's not in the classroom. And when I got my MBA, I took a lot of leadership classes. There were some things in school that taught me leadership outside the classroom, but I, those are extracurriculars that I chose to do. Well, good point, Josh. You know, uh, West Point has a, we call it the West Point Leadership Development System. We nickname it around here WIPLEDS just for the acronym, the West Point Leader Development System. And it's, it has three domains of how we develop leaders here. One is we do individual leader development, and that's our four programs. We have an academic program similar to another school where someone takes 40 academic courses to build to an academic major with the same rigor as most uh, tier one universities. We have a military program, uh, which you're referring to, and I'll describe a little more in depth, that teaches only not only military industrial domain skills, but also leadership. I'll get to that in a second. We have a character program. We're one of the few places in the world that go after character development, where we both have people practice character in tough situations. And we also teach the roots of character and how it's formed and how it's applied and put lenses to use when judging the multiple character issues and ethical issues in a particular situation. And we also have a physical program, which uh, a lot of schools may touch on, but ours is pretty in-depth. Of course, we need our folks to be strong, fast, resilient, and for the challenges they might face. But that's that's one domain of our three-domain leadership process. That's, once again, individual leader development. The second domain we do at West Point that most other schools can't really do is we call it leadership development. The ship means we're after social capital. Leadership is interaction between two people, one trying to influence the other. And so we have uh, eight semesters at West Point, like most schools do, and we also have four summers where cadets for part of the summer stay at West Point in a training-type environment. And in each of so that's a total of 12 periods. During each of those 12 periods, a cadet has a job, and their job is from a followership role to a leadership role. And in each of those jobs, they are graded and given feedback on how they're doing on influencing the cadets, their peers, and the cadets underneath them in accomplishing their mission either as a follower or as a leader. And we call that leadership development because it's giving them practice in being a follower and a leader. And that feedback loop, following those challenging experiences of how you did and what you could do better and what you should sustain, creates kind of a virtuous cycle of the leader capacity growing over time. 
And the third domain we do at West Point that's pretty unique as well is we envelop all this in what we call a culture of character growth. And a culture of character growth is we have an honor system at West Point. It circles around our honor code. A cadet will not lie, cheat, or steal, nor tolerate those who do. That's kind of a minimum standard for us. Of course, we aspire to higher things than that, but that's a floor for us. We have... Um, all kinds of mentorship programs. We have all kinds of ceremonies here that reinforce particular values along the cadet's four-year experience. We have feedback loops where every cadet gets a 360-degree evaluation every uh, six months and gets feedback on that so they're growing. And we have officers and staff volunteering outside of the classroom constantly as representatives on all the sporting teams and all the 120 cadet clubs. So there's always a role model around the cadets when they're doing things to show what kind of right looks like. And that culture of character growth enables both that individual leader development and the uh, leadership development to produce what we aspire to be a leader of character four years later, which reaches three outcomes. And that's they live honorably, they lead honorably, and they demonstrate excellence. West Point has more of a captured population, so we can do those things with our population where other schools might not have that same amount of maybe uh, ability. Yeah, just it's the, West Point's what I like to refer to as a total institution. Mm-hmm. We really yeah. can grab everyone's attention and put it in a certain direction. This is really comprehensive. Has it always been this way or have you added things over time or have things changed? I think, you know, West Point attracts type A kind of leaders to come back to it to administer the academic and the military roles, the officers and the senior NCOs. And these type A folks tend to add more programs to it. (laughs) So over time, West Point gets more comprehensive and more comprehensive. And and a challenge for folks like myself and my teammates is we have to take strong looks at what should we stop doing to make sure the things we are doing, we're putting enough effort in them to make them excellent. Because, you know, a few robust levers on someone's life makes all kinds of great change. But you have a bunch of light levers, it can be disunifying and confusing and ineffective. So so that's one of our good challenges we have. We have probably too much going on. Yeah, I, I live by, you have to say no to a lot of good things to have a great life. And so I guess the thing isn't, have you been adding things, but have you been replacing things over time? And I guess it, it sounds like you're continually doing that. Is that as purely changing times or is it becoming more and more effective leadership training? I graduated in 1992. So I was here in the late 80s and early 90s. And from my perspective, West Point has improved overall during that time. There are, of course, certain things you look back on and say, hey, I wish this were the same way or this were the same way. But we seem to be much more comprehensive now. I don't know if that's a function of the wars and the operational deployments the Army's been involved in that's given the importance of developing leaders of character that are ready to serve on our forward environments that are infinitely complex and infinitely significant in their political and military ramifications of even short, uh, quick decisions by junior officers. But West Point has gotten a lot of attention in the last 15, 20 years. I think the quality of all the academic, the military, the physical, and the character programs have all increased during that yeah. time. One of the biggest surprises that hit me when I came here before, I knew that I was going to come into a place with a lot of honor and patriotism. It surprised me when I was emailing people afterward. I, I remember emailing someone. I said, this place is more – I was trying to think of what to write. So I paused and came back to it and said, then I expected. And I wrote the rest of the email and came back. I was like, what did I feel? And I, I remember warm and supportive. I would never have expected that before I came here. West Point has, uh, you know, we're subject to these external rating agencies like, you know, University of Alabama or MIT. And uh, one we're actually really proud of when we hear it is the Princeton Review does an annual survey. And West Point is always number one or two in the most successful professors. So uh, my son is a new cadet or just became accepted as a cadet in the Corps of Cadets after summer training. Thank you. 
And uh, he came up to me the other day and said, Dad, West Point's even more, this is as a cadet, he came, he was able to see us, wife and I, and he said, hey, Dad and Mom, West Point's even more awesome than I thought it was. (laughs) (laughs) And that was pretty neat to hear. It's just a very special place. So what can others outside West Point learn from West Point? Because it's really hard on your own to put together such a comprehensive program. Of course, there are great leaders who come out of, who never go anywhere near West Point. So it, it can be done. What can they learn from here? And is stuff here... Can people access this otherwise? Great question. So West Point is built on the leader development models at West Point that we think are generally successful, though imperfect, and we continue to try to refine and we seek feedback on how we're doing. They're built on a couple of theoretical underpinnings. One of them is a combination of adult learning, leadership theory, organizational theory, and uh, sociology called the leader growth model. And the leader growth model is really three triads that anyone, if they apply this in any context over time, can generally build someone's leadership capacity. And those three triads, in no particular order, are gaining new new knowledge. And some people refer to this phase as preparing to lead. And that's where that may be some examples, maybe classroom work, maybe hearing from best practices from a leader that's been successful, reading a book about leadership, just kind of exposing yourself to new ideas about leadership. If you're getting ready to go lead in a certain context, to be learning about that context and how leadership has succeeded or failed there in the past. Etc. That's new knowledge. That's one of the triads. The second triad is challenging experiences. So after you learn new knowledge, is to actually go and try to lead. Maybe you're a section leader. Maybe you're a leader of an individual. Maybe you're a team foreman. The, the exact role doesn't matter as long as it's challenging and you have to. You're required to influence others to accomplish a superordinate goal, something that you can't accomplish on your own. You must have people working together to accomplish. And that challenging experience will have ups and downs, like all leadership roles do. You'll learn about yourself. You learn about others. You'll learn how. The dynamic works between you. I like how you say this so glibly. When in yeah. practice, it's like grueling. I mean, the times when I've had that, it's like leadership lessons hard, very emotionally challenging. Sometimes the you know the best lessons are ones learned the hard way, right? So the third part of the triad is after having these challenging experiences and the learnings that happen during that is reflection phase. We call it deliberate reflection. And if you can either on your own or having a coach that cares about you guide you through some reflection on what just happened both what went well, what did not, and what caused them to go well and what caused them not to, and what you can learn from that before your next experience to change your own behaviors, then you're just anchoring down those lessons learned. And then you repeat that cycle just continuously. Learn some new knowledge, prepare to lead again. And you can do these simultaneously, of course. Leading in a challenging experience, deliberate reflection, repeat. And in the deliberate reflection phase, in addition to having a challenging mentor kind of walk you through that, another thing we found that kind of hyperpowers that phase is part of that triad is handwriting down kind of in a diary what you learned that day, how things went, what you learned, bad and good. We don't know all the science behind it, but we understand that to be a much more powerful way than just thinking about it or talking about it. And are the mentors handed to them? Are they professors here or are they, do they have to find them on their own? Great question. So part of that culture of character growth at West Point, one of the domains of how we develop leaders Mm -hmm. is there are mentors available to all the cadets. There gets to be a little bit of a numbers problem, you know, with 4,500 cadets and about four or 500 staff and faculty. You know, it's a bit of a challenge. That's why all cadets have upper-class cadets as their mentors. But the best mentors we have on average are the staff and faculty who are from all commissioning sources. Most of them have deployed in combat, those that have and have extensive life experience. And um, we do several things. One is we have our first year, we call it a plebe sponsorship program, where every one of the 1,200 plebes is assigned to a staff and faculty member around our install at West Point. So plebes are first years? Plebes are first years, the freshmen. And that relationship is a formal one, and they're 
expected to maybe spend a day a month with that sponsor, perhaps on a Saturday, coming over to their house, being in a more relaxed environment, being able to see how an officer lives their life and be able to ask questions about the profession and about ethical and moral and academic challenges they're having. So that's one mentorship assignment we have. Another one we have is during their junior year, everyone at West Point takes a course called PL300, Military Leadership. It's one of the few academic courses on leadership in the world. It's a three-credit-hour academic course. As part of that course, at the start of it, each of those cadets has to go seek a mentor at West Point. And the mentor will help them with their three guided assignments getting through the course. There's a lot of threes in here. (laughs) You have a lot of triads and threes. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, like, before a paper on what the cadet's leadership philosophy is, which is the the, uh, culminating assignment in the class, they'll take that draft paper and go talk to their mentor about it and say, hey, here's my leadership philosophy. Can you give me some feedback on it? And the mentor will give the feedback on it. They'll integrate that in their paper and improve it before they turn it in. And there's two other cycles with the same mentor. So not only does that give them good feedback on developing as an officer, it also forms a bond that usually way outlasts that class and continues after that class is over. Are you in touch with your mentors from when you were here? So we didn't have mentors, PL300 mentors, when I was a cadet. This is a good example, Josh, of an improvement that's happened in the last 20 years that we put that mentorship program in. Now, it's funny you mentioned that because... My first year back, I taught here when I was a captain maybe 15 years ago for three years. And during that time, you know, we didn't have any mentors at all in in this kind of aspect. But now this program came in maybe six years ago. So when I got here as a senior faculty and I heard about the program, I went to the course director and I said, hey, her name was Darcy Schnack. She's a, a lieutenant colonel. I said, Darcy, do you realize this course implicitly tasks 600 faculty members with a mentorship assignment every semester. And that's a lot of tasking we're doing without really asking for their permission and kind of taxing the system that much more because they're all really busy way beyond class. And none of them are going to turn someone away. Generally, they won't. And she looked at me, she said, you're right. And she said, but they love it. And she said, just just hang on this semester and watch and you'll see. They love it. And uh, that's kind of a testament to what West Point is. Even though people get asked to do way more than their share, as long as it's about something directly or indirectly involved with developing leaders of character to serve our nation, they love it. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So I feel like someone could learn leadership at a traditional, at a mainstream university. They could try to learn it from the streets or, you know, just through life. And many succeed, many don't. I feel like at West Point, you can't get out of here without getting, like, you could kind of fake your way through an MBA because it's really tough to fail out of an MBA program, even if it's one of the top ones. I don't think you could do that here. It's like you're going to get, the minimum is very high. Is that right? I think our expectations of each other are calibrated pretty high. So when we see what we think is a lower than average performing cadet, they're still pretty high performing human being. And once they leave West Point, even our folks that are might be considered by some to be in the lower performing end by their kind of their choices throughout their four years, but still good enough to graduate, they usually spread their wings and fly and are really just outstanding officers is what we found. I think if I were listening to this, I would think that you might be like, you have such a comprehensive understanding of the comprehensive program that I thought maybe I might think you're reading off of something like this, but you really know this backward and forward. I mean, this is, you live this. What's your passion behind it? If you don't mind my asking. Yeah. So, you know, my grandfather was drafted in the army in World War II. 
He's from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and uh, he stayed there his whole life after he got out of the military. But he was a little bit older than the average Army officer, kind of the upper end of what they would draft. They ended up sending him to training sites around the country and didn't end up overseas during that war. And um, he kind of ended up being my role model as a young as a young man. And I would spend summers with him when I was in high school, and he would teach me woodworking. That was his craft. And I just watched him live. And what, he was an imperfect guy, but he spent a lot of time serving others. He uh, would go around his neighborhood, kind of a gentrified neighborhood, and help all the elderly people that couldn't take care of their house with small repairs just on his own, just because he could and he was skilled. He would spend every Sunday down in the uh, Hattiesburg City Jail talking with and forming relationships, encouraging the inmates. And I just saw this cycle repeat itself again and again and again. And very imperfectly, I've tried to imitate him with my own life. And he taught me really that to serve others is to really to be free and to live yourself. It's not a burden. In fact, it's a joy. And that doesn't mean that we are completely selfish, or certainly I am not. But it sure is something pretty special about public service. And really in building leaders of character for our nation, I couldn't just be more delighted to be a small part of that. So the key word that I heard was serve. And Francis Hasselbein, who's been a guest here, for phrases, to serve is to live. And I think a lot of people view leadership as, you know, you put on blue face paint and charge in a battle and where you're the CEO that gets all the coverage. And over and over again, I find that the more effective leaders that I speak to, they're always putting the other person first, which I think is service. Did you know it or did you, I mean, you said you observed your grandfather. Did you discover it? Did you find it? I mean, how can it become more apparent to others who might be, you know, the listener? I think a lot of people listening are like, I want to leave more. That's a good question. I think if we encourage people to volunteer occasionally, they'll see that they, at least I do, that you get great joy in doing so. You know, we all like being, we all have our favorite things and our hobbies to do personally. But I think we as humans generally get great satisfaction when we see that we make some small difference in someone else's life. And I think just by encouraging people to volunteer, they'll, if they haven't already seen that, that comes to them very quickly. When they see that uh, a small bit of effort by them can make a huge difference in someone else's kind of life and outlook. And I, I think that's contagious. So There's another question on a different line. When I teach leadership and in my own personal leadership, one of the big things I try to get across is that the more that you practice, the more you start developing a sensitivity to your own passions, what drives you, what's most important to you. And I have not spent time in the military, so I'm not sure. But I feel like ultimately it's you're serving the Constitution. I'm not sure. So in one path, it's find out more about yourself. And another, it's your the Constitution is your highest value, defending it. And is there a conflict there? Or uh, it's certainly the Constitution is one of the, like, it's really high up there for me. No, it's tough. You know, you really bring up what we're trying to do at West Point. And when we when we go after those, remember the goals of the West Point Leadership Development System I shared earlier was to live honorably, lead honorably, and demonstrate excellence. But really those goals are rooted in the five facets of character. There really is hope and aspire that all graduates of West Point will display in abundance when they graduate. And those five facets of character are to have moral character, to have civic character, to have social character, to have performance character, and to have leadership character. If you don't mind, I'll describe each of those briefly. People listening to this can listen to it over and over again and reconstruct for themselves like how to get a West Point leadership training program. Sure, this is, uh, if someone can learn a little bit from West Point, even though we're imperfect and get better at character, well, it's great for our, our world and our nation. So the moral domain of our facet of character is things that most people are familiar with, uh, integrity, honor, respect. You know, that's a pretty common use of the word character. The civic facet of characters, things like doing more than your share is the best way to summarize it. It's voting. It's when you walk down the sidewalk, you see a piece of trash. It's when you pick it up. It's being a good follower. When someone is trying to lead with, you know, doing a reasonable job, it's following them and helping them accomplish that goal. 
It's putting other people before yourself is a, is a civic portion of our facet of character. The social facet of character is being the same person 24 hours a day. It can especially apply to our social media where it's very easy to assume a anonymous identity and uh, do things you wouldn't otherwise do, you know, whether it be in, involving others or yourself. It's just having the same character all the time and especially in how you treat other people, especially those people with no recourse for how you treat them. The performance aspect of character is referred to a lot by sports coaches. And for example, you'll see a coach interviewed after a game and they'll say, my girls or my guys hung in there till the end and they showed great character. They never quit. They did show great character. They showed performance character. They had grit. They had resilience. We need those, those traits in the military as well. We need those in all civilian you know, industries as well. But that's performance character. And it's, it's interesting to separate that from moral character. Not that they're perfectly isolated, but it's it's more useful to be able to talk to them in the facets that they are. And the last one we expect West Pointers to have is a leadership character. And what that means is a West Pointer is not okay if they just take care of those four for themselves, the four other facets. That We expect them to be a positive influence on other people's character and in the groups they're around on character. If someone is showing deep character flaws and it has influence on the world around them, we expect a West Pointer to intervene and do something about it. And that's why the leadership facet of character is so important for us at West Point. To have true character as an officer, it means you have character and take responsibility for the larger organization as well. I feel like this really resonates with something I keep learning over and over again, that people always do org charts, hierarchy. You know, when they draw a hierarchy, there's always the top person at the top. And the more I lead, I'm imperfect as well. Uh, I always find like I always have it upside down. Like that's the person who has to support everybody else and everyone else is above them. And you talked about the people who can least help themselves are the people that we serve the most. It, it seems to work pretty well to the extent I do it and I forget it all the time. It seems really deeply inculcated here. You talked a lot about character and I was also thinking about vision because like this podcast, the vision is to change culture. It's to a lot of people feel like I want to do something, but if no one else does and what difference does it make what I do, which is very lacks meaning, lacks purpose. And do people here get to have a vision of their own beyond supporting the military? How do they develop a vision? So in our course, Military Leadership, the course we teach to all juniors, academic course about leadership I referred to earlier, we have a few lessons on uh, assessing and changing culture. And we also have a lesson on transformational leadership. If you think about it, if you transform something, you're really changing its culture, whether it be a person or uh, an organization. And in the transformational leadership lesson, we see that there are eight transformational leader behaviors. And this was a a Bassin and Bolio type theory from many years ago uh, with two authors of the original theories and Burns as well contributed. But three of those eight transformational leader behaviors you just referred to. So one is to develop and communicate a vision, right? So that's something we teach people to do here. And we give them practice in doing it within the context of their, of their organization. And we, at West Point, we have 4,400 cadets split into 36 different groups called companies. And we pick company commanders for those groups that are seniors. And they have to develop and communicate a vision for their organization there. And you'll see them to be very different, which is they do get practice and they get to develop their own vision. But it is in the context of the organization that they have. Two other ones of those eight that I think are very interesting and help you change a culture that kind of reflect West Point is develop individualized consideration for your subordinates is one of the transformational behaviors. What that means is as much as you can get to know each person individually, because even though they meet a few levels down in the organizational chart from you. They're still humans of equal value as any other human, including yourself, right, with hopes and dreams of their own. But getting to know them on a personal level can help you lead them better personally and professionally. It also gives them the dignity and respect that they know that their, their leader cares about them, which is very true. And one that kind of goes in parallel with that show individualized consideration is to have, have high expectations and confidence in your followers, 
And that's one of the eight transformational leader behaviors as well. And I love that pairing with the develop or show and village concerned. Having high expectations and confidence means I expect the world of you and I know you can do it, but I'm going to care deeply about you as you go forth to do it. And those two things together seem to be some magic combined with when you have the development community vision in accomplishing whatever you're trying to change to. So, yeah. Okay. So it's really focused on the people, the people that you're directly with the community that you're directly with. And I guess that as the cadets move on and become officers and rise, then that group gets bigger and bigger. Well, actually the direct people they work with become also higher and higher level. I want to switch over to, to talk about the environment. Now, I'm not sure how much you personally interact with environmental issues here, is there a military view on the environment or do you personally have one? It's interesting. We, uh, you know, of course, like I mentioned before, I don't speak for the U.S. Army or DOD or West Point on this, but uh, I had the privilege of serving as a garrison commander from 2009, 2011 in Schweinfurt, Germany. And a way to describe that role is kind of a cross between an appointed mayor and a city manager for a army population of about 10,000 Americans in Schweinfurt, Germany. And it was really a special time. And one of my responsibilities directly was our environment and our recycling. You know, American taken to Germany is a little bit of a culture shock on just recycling. Because in most places in America, especially that time 10 years ago, all our trash went into one bin. In Germany, there's like six different bins, you know, and it's a it's a big culture change and in, in just how to think about trash recycling waste. And we had a pretty progressive political appointee, the Army Assistant Secretary for Installations and Environment at the time. And she came over to West Point and encouraged, or came over to Schweinfurt and encouraged us and the other installations to go towards a net zero type. Uh, ten years ago. Ten years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, type culture where, hey, we produce no waste in net. And how do we get there and to become more energy conservation, et cetera. So some of the things I was working on back then was, hey, let's keep our windows shut in the, in the wintertime and creating incentives for soldiers to do that so the heat doesn't go out the window. Keeping place clean and giving people awards for uh, recycling if a unit did more recycling than another unit to recognize them and recognize that excellence. And just take care of an environment at a fundamental level by picking up things around you. Um, we organize community cleanups regularly and just try to show that we are stewards of what we are given, and we should take good care of that. And that includes both at a government level and then at a world level. We were given this water, we were given this energy, let's be stewards of it. And you took that on yourself? Or was it because of the context of Germany, or might you have done that anyway? You know, that's a great question, Josh. Um, it's kind of like any situation. There's lots of uh, factors coming in that influence us at the time. And, you know, my dad was a small businessman growing up, and once we were cleaning up trash in his yard, we were just sweeping. I think it must have been late fall, and we were, we were raking and sweeping his he had two houses that were combined together that formed his office, so to speak. And uh, we were sweet cleaning this place up. And I saw him walk across the street, and it was kind of in a rougher neighborhood of town. And the place across the street had like a chain-link security fence around it kind of thing. It was someone's home. And uh, he bent over and started picking up these two piles of broken glass just on his own. And I walked over to him. I said, hey, Dad, what are you doing? He said, ah, someone broke some beer bottles out here. I'm pretty sure it wasn't the guy that lived here. And he said, I said, well, why are you doing it? He goes, ah, why not? You know, why not pick it up for, for my friend? It's the right thing to do. He just picked it up, spent a few minutes cleaning it up, swept it up, and then walked back over and finished his yard. And that made a big impression on me that, hey, we're responsible for everything around us, whether it's officially ours or not, to make a good impact. So I've been trying to do the same, though, imperfectly. So I feel like that that's, I mean, deeply in the Army and West Point, but all, and especially yourself, of taking responsibility, serving others. It doesn't matter if others see you or not. It's what you're doing. It's integrity. I want to add a, a caveat to what you just said. It doesn't matter if someone sees you or not with I think we're all subject to others' approval, including myself, and that's valuable to all of us. And I think I'd be naive if I tried to frame myself otherwise. And so I, I like to say, at least for me, character is a team sport. 
So I need like friends in my life to encourage me to keep doing the right thing, hold me accountable, ask me tough questions. Because I also think that character is not, we can look at character in a lot of ways. A lot of people look at older folks and leaders as kind of having arrived at, at character. But all you need to do is look in the news for a little bit to see a few examples of leaders and senior levels that have made poor character decisions. And none of us, including myself, are immune from those type things in our lives. And so I see all of us as having a character vat inside of us, imagine kind of a tank inside our core that has some level of character in it. And I see myself, at least, and other people maybe similar, needing to fill that up and keep that inflow going because that vat has leaks in it. And that leak, and those vats are constantly leaking. And I have to pour stuff in through friends holding me accountable, myself uh, remind, reading things that encourage me to have stronger character, et cetera, faster than it leaks out consistently. So I can make sure when that stressful moment hits, I'll do the right thing. Or when the tired moment hits, I'll be able to do the right thing. Well, this really fits in. I mean, it's a part of life. It's not like a casual thing that you kind of do. And because a lot of people, I think a lot of people look at environmental things. It's like, yeah, um, environment's important, but I got to get ahead. I feel like you're, it's not different. Character is not, it's hard not to quote Vincent Party. You know, it's, it's not like an all the time or not quote, but paraphrase. It's not a sometimes thing. It's an all the time thing. Well, actually, so there's something I do on the podcast that uh, might fit in with what you're talking about, which I ask people to, at their option, to take on a, a challenge to do something by their values that they're not already doing, ideally something environmental. And I wonder if you'd be willing to take on a personal challenge. And before you say yes or no, there's a few things that I always say. It doesn't have to fix all the world's problems all by itself overnight, but it can't be just knowledge or awareness. It has to be something behavior that, uh, with a measurable difference. And something you're not already doing. And it, oh, and it can't be telling other people what to do. We got a lot of people doing that already. So I can edit this out if you don't want to. But if you're up for it, a lot of people have something that, like, in the back of their mind. They're like, oh, I've been meaning to do X or Y. Is there something you'd be willing to take on and then talk about it afterward? Um, I always love challenges, you know. So I absolutely am. I guess we just have to find something that fits. We go back and forth a couple of times to figure out what it might be. I mean, you talked about several things, some stories from your grandfather, your father in Germany and different things. Is there anything that comes to mind? I think I'm going to need to noodle on a little bit to have something that's got, you know, that meets the criteria that you're asking for. And I'll ask some friends as well. Okay. I got some good ones to ask. And one of the things I point out is that a lot of people think it's got to be important or big. One of the things I've learned over all the people I've interviewed on the podcast is that increasingly I'm seeing it more as skills that you develop rather than how important the first thing is that you do. And the best way I know to learn skills is to start practicing them. And generally with small things, and then you develop it. And then it's almost inevitable that when you, the skills, when you master the skills, you take on the next thing because you want to, because you want to lift heavier weights, because you want to play more challenging pieces on the piano. You want to express yourself more. But I, I want to push a little bit to see if anything comes to mind, because often the first thing that comes to mind is often for people, something that really matters to them. And I also want to give listeners the chance to hear that it usually doesn't come right away, but it also doesn't take that long either. And so I wonder if there's anything around in your life that comes to mind. By the way, a lot of people think global warming is like the first thing they think of. Right. But there's, there's litter, there's pollution, there's resources, there's, you know, the person I just spoke to, it's the last person I interviewed, is composting. And he's been meaning to compost for a while and he just hadn't. So there's lots of different areas that are environmental that aren't necessarily what a lot of people think global warming because that's what makes the news the most. Although I think plastics is getting pretty big now too in terms of front page coverage. What if it was something small but really measurable, like bringing in a recyclable water bottle every day instead of plastic water bottles? Yeah, it's, several people have done that. And I'm very, how do I put it? It's not impressed or amazed, but something happens when they start putting attention to something that they didn't put attention to before. 
And this all began with my avoiding food packaging. Now you said recyclable, but I think you meant reusable. Yeah. So that totally fits the bill. About how long do you think it would take before you did it to talk about it before you felt like, like one day is probably not enough for you to- No, for really maybe a in. month. Okay. Could I talk to you in a month to hear well, how it goes? That'd be a treat. Okay. That'd be a treat. Oh, a treat. I'm glad to, yeah. I, <laughs> actually, that's something that I think a lot of people feel like changing behavior for the environment is like a burden. And right. I'm glad you said treat because I think hopefully people listening think, oh, I want a treat too. So I'd like to close with a couple of questions. Is there anything I didn't think to ask that is worth bringing up? And the other is um, anything you want to say directly to listeners that I didn't think to bring up, or you can combine them into one question. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, I don't think so. But the listeners, I'll just thank you for caring about leader development and caring about the environment. Both very special, both very related. And, uh, you know, just keep making a difference one day at a time. Well, Colonel Everett Spain, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. You will find few people more calm, gracious, friendly, patient, and helpful than Colonel Spain. I'd say that on a personal level, but professionally too. I don't see him separating the two in his life. Second, notice how he did what many do, possibly you if you choose to act on your values when others don't. It's hard to do that sometimes, but that's what leaders do. He went from thinking and saying he couldn't come up with anything to finding something meaningful and enjoyable and looking forward to it and feeling gratitude for it. I have no doubt that he will over-deliver on the commitment that he'll do more than he expected, learn more than expected, and find it more fun and meaningful. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.